Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us on the Thursday Three Martini Lunch. We're brought to you today by Coastal and get ready for a wild Three Martini Lunch. Uh, Because as we sorted out the topics today, Jim's last words were in no particular order. So, Jim, that means they've got uh, shards of all three in some cases, I guess. So uh, let's dive right in. You know, a few weeks before the presidential election, some folks like the New York Post and others uh, reported that a laptop that Hunter Biden had left at a Delaware repair shop had contained some pretty sensitive things, um, including evidence potentially of uh, corruption, uh, maybe some really unsorted and possibly illegal images. But uh, the media decided that was a Russian disinformation campaign. They even got a bunch of old uh, uh, career officials to suggest such a thing. And so most of the media buried the story. Well, guess what? Hunter Biden is under investigation, and he has been for two years. Uh, He said yesterday in a statement through his father's uh, presidential transition office, which I thought was interesting, that it was a tax issue that's being investigated by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware. But as usual with Hunter Biden, there's more to the story. Politico, the federal investigation into President-elect Joe Biden's son Hunter has been more extensive than a statement from Hunter Biden indicates, according to a person with firsthand knowledge of the investigation. On Wednesday, Hunter Biden said he'd been contacted about a tax investigation out of the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware. In addition to Delaware, the Securities Fraud Unit in the Southern District of New York also scrutinized Hunter Biden's finances, according to the person with direct knowledge of the investigation. The person said that as of early last year, investigators in Delaware and Washington were also probing potential money laundering and Hunter Biden's foreign ties. In addition to the probe into Hunter Biden, federal authorities in the Western District of Pennsylvania are conducting a criminal investigation of a hospital business in which Joe Biden's brother James was involved. So, uh, Jim, I guess you can bury some of these things for a while, but now they're bubbling up conveniently after the election for the Biden campaign. I don't know what the impact would have been had there been more coverage of it before people actually went to the polls on November 3rd. But what do you make of this coming out now? And what do you make of what's being investigated? Well, first of all, like there's one little kind of cherry on top to add to this story. Uh, Jake Tapper talked about it on Twitter yesterday. Apparently, several reporters at CNN were indeed working on this story and reached out to the Biden campaign saying, it sounds something like saying, we hear the Justice Department is digging into Hunter Biden. What is your response or what is your statement? And the response from the Biden campaign is, we have nothing right now, but give us some time. We'll get back to you. And shortly thereafter, the statement from Hunter Biden went out to the world. And it was one of those things where, you know, CNN, some people at CNN are really fuming about this because they thought they had an exclusive. And then the Biden campaign, in what appears to be bad faith, just, you know, rushed out a statement to get ahead of the story to, you know, blow up the exclusive that CNN said. Although probably right now I can almost hear some listeners saying, huh. Maybe CNN should have been a little tougher on the Biden campaign back in this uh, past year or two. Maybe, you know, maybe these aren't such swell guys as your coverage seems to suggest. Look, you know, those of us who've been paying attention to Hunter Biden and his career for a while are not surprised by this. Uh, You know, maybe some of the details are surprising. But as I laid out in a very lengthy and very detailed timeline back more than a year ago, this is kind of the M.O. for Hunter Biden his entire career. He, He has not been a man who thrives on his own two feet and 
unconnected from his father's history. He's been a lobbyist. He's been involved in a variety of financial organizations that all have had some sort of business before the U.S. government. And it's just been you know, one of those things where the moment somebody raised a question about this, the response from Joe Biden is, how dare you attack my family? That kind of sort of thing. Well, look, I don't think the FBI is attacking Biden's family. In fact, I think what seems to be a, a reaction and some might even say an overreaction to the events of 2016, the FBI let this investigation go dormant for a while because they didn't want to be seen as you know meddling in the election. Now it's okay to pick it up, and apparently it's looking pretty serious, and not just on mere tax stuff, because, Greg, taxes are so complicated, right? Man, everybody could louse that up. Uh, but money laundering and shady foreign partners and things like that. We'll see how this uh, shakes out. Maybe the investigation goes nowhere. But certainly, considering the checkered history of Hunter Biden and the sheer volume of shady foreign investment partners he's had over the years, it, you know, the FBI, in all likelihood, is not you know looking into this for blanks and giggles. They, they presumably look at this and see that some sort of crime occurred here and that they intend to do this. And now they're in a situation where they kind of have to, right? You, you basically can't be lenient on someone just because he's the son of the president. So the Biden administration is going to enter office with a dark cloud above its head because the son of the president may be facing serious charges on money laundering. This sort of thing is not that surprising if you paid attention to this, to Hunter Biden before the election. But we have just gone through a, a several month period in which this was seen ipso facto as not only attacking the former vice president's family. In today's morning, Joel, I found examples of which people, they're attacking the child of the vice president. <laughs> Greg, Hunter Biden turned 50 this year. I think he's fair game. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, 2016, and obviously that's a reference to, in the later stages of the campaign, Jim Comey informing Congress that he had reopened uh, the Hillary email investigation because of what they had found on Anthony Weiner's laptop. And he knew when he did that, that it would probably go public. It did. Uh, and so the FBI was probably trying to avoid making itself the focal point of another story breaking late in the campaign. But that still raises the question, did they do the right thing here? Because if there's alleged criminal activity, don't you have to pursue the case? You're replacing one potential bad decision in which the FBI makes decisions that could affect the outcome of an election with another bad decision, which is the FBI refuses to pursue actions and that refusal to pursue an investigation ends up influencing the election. I don't know that if you know, if, if word had broken uh, in the autumn or even in the summer of 2020, that Hunter Biden was under investigation for a, you know, a role in, in money laundering. First of all, Democrats would have unbelievable traumatic flashbacks. Um, be like, oh my God, history is happening, repeating itself. It's happening all over again. But you know, look, I guess the we won't know until the investigation is complete. Um, and by the way, we should note, I remember this from a couple of investigations into like Michael Steele going back years. The FBI doesn't always announce we have completed our investigation. There was nothing there. Everything's fine. I don't know if they feel whether they should be required to do that. But if your name came up in investigation and then nobody ever hears from it, you've always got this taint, this this cloud over you, this this suspicion that you were investigated for something, but nobody ever charged you. With anything. You know, where do you go to get your reputation back? Look, it's possible the FBI looks at all this, concludes they don't have a case, and walks away. And as far as we know, Hunter Biden has not committed a crime in these circumstances. And, you know, then life will go on. But if there's an indictment, I think there are a whole bunch of people who will be asking very fair questions about whether he could have and should have been indicted sooner. And that the FBI felt required to hit that pause 
over you know a uh, attempt to influence an election. But here's the thing: if the nominee's son is a crook, maybe voters should know that, shouldn't they? I think so. Uh, And that leads to my last question on this, which I think is another indictment, and that's the media. I think this is almost a question that doesn't even really need to be officially answered. But if all the facts of the case are exactly the same, but it's a Trump kid who left the laptop at the computer shop, (laughs) you think the mainstream media chalks this up to Russian disinformation? Oh, my God. First of all, no. But like if, if you know, this had been involved, one of the other, you know, look, the the meeting with um, the, the Russian woman and it turned out to be about adoption. Greg, how many weeks do we spend discussing that? And the idea that this was ipso facto evidence that the Russians had been, you know, influencing Trump's campaign from the start and all that kind of stuff. I, I have a corner post that just went up. And look, in the end, Hunter Biden is responsible for his actions. I think you can make a very strong argument that Hunter Biden has all kinds you know, of uh, tragic fights with addiction. He's got all kinds of bad decisions he's made with the strip clubs and child out of wedlock and his brother's widow. And, and you know, it's, it's a long litany of things Hunter Biden has done wrong in his life. That's not necessarily Joe Biden's fault. But I do think that being the vice president's son and before that, the senator's son probably insulated him from some of the full consequences of his bad decisions. And then I think there's a third step in that corner post is about this, which is that, look, you know, I, from 2001 to 2008, Hunter Biden was a partner in a lobbying firm. This wasn't completely uncovered, but I, this never made the cover of Time magazine. This never got the 60 minutes treatment. This never got a full in-depth. Can you believe that the son of a senator is lobbying his, his you know, father's colleagues? He says he never lobbies his father. His father says he's never done any favors for his son in legislation. But we don't have any, you know, like there's no way to prove that. And, um, you know, that, that if there had been that coverage, maybe things would be different. That, that they, generally the mainstream media doesn't like airing the dirty laundry of Democrats, certainly not the way they enjoy it uh, to the degree with Republicans. And as a result of that, I think this is worsened because you know, there is no barrier for Hunter Biden to hit metaphorically until he slammed into a brick wall at 100 miles an hour. I, you know, th- th- in other words, like th- th- each cut possible step, if there'd been worse consequences, maybe his life would have taken a different turn. But there wasn't, in part because the media didn't want to make old Joe uh, look that bad. And, and people in the Obama administration who had worries about it, you know, had a hard time talking to Joe about it. And he'd suffered so much and all that kind of stuff. It was a perfect setup for to to cushion Hunter Biden from the consequences of his actions. You'd like to think the media will see clearly going forward here, but we know they won't. (laughs) They're uh, hopelessly biased in many cases. So that doesn't mean you don't have to see clearly, though. And that's why Coastal can be a huge help if you need glasses. And guess what? You don't even need to go to the optometrist anymore. You will need a prescription. But once you have that, you can do everything from your own computer. But sometimes, you know, it's hard to know whether the, the frames at the at the shop are going to look right when you finally get them uh, on your face. Uh, and you think maybe looking at those online, that's going to make that even harder. Actually, no. Coastal makes it really easy. You can browse and try on hundreds of frames without even leaving your couch. You know, at Coastal.com, you can get prescription glasses starting at $9 with free shipping and 30-day risk-free returns. Plus, they have the most advanced virtual try-on technology that you'll find anywhere. You just turn your frames into sunglasses by testing out colored lens tints, or you can finally see what a cat eye or aviator glasses would really look like on your face right on your phone. Yes, you too can look like Joe Biden with those aviator glasses. 
With Coastal, you don't have to spend hours at the store or hundreds of dollars to get a new style. You just go to Coastal.com. You pick the frames you want, you enter your prescription details, and your glasses will arrive to you in just a few days. I had the chance to check out this uh, technology with Coastal, uh, the try-on, and it really does work well. And I'm kind of a traditional guy, Jim. I don't know if you've picked up on that over the past 10 <laughs> years or so. And a lot of the frames that are on the first page, you know, they're kind of these trendy Gen Z type frames. Yeah, that's not me. So I needed something a little more traditional. I uh, I went through the process. It was very easy to, to pick them out. And you go step by step all the way through. And they do have not only 2,000 frames to choose from, but also 24-hour customer support, which Newsweek calls America's best customer service. And when you buy a pair from Coastal, you can donate a pair of glasses to someone in need in just one click at no extra cost. Also, use your FSA benefits now before they run out. Now and for a limited time, they're offering Three Martini Lunch listeners the best deal they have going anywhere. 50% off your first pair of glasses at Coastal.com martini. You get free shipping. 30-day risk-free returns, and 50% off at Coastal.com slash martini, but only for a limited time. So spelled C-O-A-S-T-A-L dot com slash martini. Some restrictions apply. All right, Jim, let's talk about a story that's certainly gotten a lot of attention on social media and beyond uh, the last couple of days, and that's uh, China's efforts to infiltrate a variety of political figures. Seems like they have a big operation in the San Francisco Bay Area, but they also have a mission to kind of ingratiate themselves with politicians they think are on the rise. So they're dealing with city council members, mayors, uh, that sort of thing. And that's kind of how Eric Swalwell got swept into this story. We all, of course, know Eric Swalwell uh, represents uh, that area as well, I think on the Oakland side of the Bay for the most part. But uh, he has uh, distinguished himself for his lunacy on a variety of uh, committees over time. But uh, he was uh, approached by this woman who presented herself as Christine Fang. Her real name is Fang Fang. She's now back in China after the FBI figured out what she was doing. Uh, but she became uh, close to uh, Swalwell. I believe she bundled some money for him. She successfully got an intern in his office. The FBI tipped him off in, I guess, 2014, somewhere around there, 2015. And uh, according to the reports, he has cooperated with the FBI since then. We don't know what the intern was able to accomplish in that role. Uh, Fang also dealt with other political figures in California. She also uh, struck up uh, at least two romantic relationships with mayors of Midwestern cities um, and hoping that they were on the rise and that they could be potential uh, easy sources uh, later on down the road. So China's clearly playing the long game here. And Jim, one thing that stands out in this article by Axios, and we should point out that Axios broke the story, it says, Fang also had a sexual encounter with an Ohio mayor in a car that was under electronic FBI surveillance. When the mayor asked why Fang was interested in him, Fang told him she wanted to improve her English. So, Jim, um, there's plenty of uh, jokes going on about Eric Swalwell, and I'm sure we'll uh, contribute to those to some extent. But it's very troubling how easy uh, some of these figures are to be marks for the Chinese. And uh, as the old saying goes... If you wonder why a person who might not normally be interested in you is really interested in you, you might want to think a little more carefully about that. Yeah, there's a lot to, to go over in this, Greg. Among them, um, if, if Chinese intelligence is sending over attractive young women to uh, target politicians on the rise, and they ended up selecting and targeting Eric Swalwell, maybe Chinese intelligence isn't as sharp as we think they are. <laughs> Um, to say nothing of the mayors in Ohio, 
Um, yes, the English lessons line did indeed jump out at me. We should point out, um, there's, if you read a little further down in the story there, Greg, it does say she learned a lot of phrases for affirmative and various religious phrases uh, in the course of those lessons. Eric Swalwell is not one of my favorite people. In fact, Eric Swalwell is probably one of my least favorite members of Congress. And I should reveal to listeners now, Greg and I discussed doing this story, this talking about this story yesterday, but I felt um, that based on what we saw in that Axios article, we don't know whether it was rather obvious that, you know, Fang was a Chinese spy. If she, you know, comes up and says, hello, rising star in American politics, do you happen to know any national security secret, you know, uh, or whether it was, you know, she seemed like just any other, you know, uh, person who'd be involved in politics and interested in fundraising and interested in placing an intern and, and all kinds of things like that. Um, it she could have been very obvious. She could have been very not obvious. And I don't think it's necessarily... Uh, a bad reflection on Eric Swalwell. We don't know whether there's a good reason to suspect this or whether he thought she was just, you know, just another woman. And, you know, the, according to that Axios article, as soon as the FBI gave him that defensive briefing, he cut off all contact and, and that's fine. Um, but look, based on this story, Fang used sex as a tool to get closer to certain politicians. And while that Axios article did not say whether the two of them ever bumped ugly, so to speak, uh, Swalwell is not saying whether he and Fang ever did the horizontal mambo. Now, here's the thing. If an attractive woman who's been accused of being a Chinese spy, if you did not have sex with her, most congressmen, congressmen are go very quickly going to say, no, <laughs> I did not. Have. When the answer is, I don't want to say, that's a strong indicator that the answer really is yes, and they don't want to say. Um, and if, the, if, if he did indeed have relations with her, get to know her in the biblical sense, then in fact, yes, then, then this is a fairly big deal. Um, Marco Rubio did an interview in which he said, look, it's going to be very tough to keep this guy on the House Intelligence Committee. Um, you know, it's not a crime to have sex with a woman who turns out to be a Chinese spy, but it really makes you look foolish. It really makes you look naive. It really makes you look like you're, you know, gullible and uh, just, you know, not someone who could be trusted with uh, uh, classified information and the sorts of secrets that certain congressmen are allowed to know. And... I just picture the next, I know it's a very heavily democratic district, so maybe this would come up in a primary, maybe this would come up in a general election. You know, My opponent accuses me of being in, in bed with uh, big business, but Congressman Smallwell was literally in bed with Chinese intelligence, and you can, you can imagine all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know if this will completely derail Swalwell's career in Congress. We've seen lots of people survive all kinds of egregious scandals like that, but for a guy who really had this buffoonish narcissistic, uh, not the sharpest knife in the drawer image beforehand, this is only going to damage it further. And I think at this point, he's you know probably pretty close to being a laughing stock, even amongst his fellow Democrats. Well, possibly, Jim, but he does uh, represent a highly left-leaning district. So uh, being tight with the Chinese might actually help him get reelected. <laughs> I don't know. I have you know, learned more about socialism. Yes. The perfect perspective on this is that apparently there's a statement from Senator Dianne Feinstein who said, come on, my Chinese spy just drove me around. Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right. We're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. From discussing topics like cancel culture, what's happening to our new generations, crises in our nation, and even some high-profile interviews, each week we touch on subjects that matter to us and matter to you. And we're not afraid to tell you how it is. So tune in every week to hear us talk about the things or even just get a good laugh. To find out more, go to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave Leave a comment, a review, and subscribe. 
Well, that uh, takes us perfectly to our final <laughs> martini, Jim, because, yes, Diane Feinstein did have a uh, driver who turned out to be a Chinese spy, not just for a little while. It was for years, possibly even a couple of decades, if I remember correctly. But now Diane Feinstein is on the outs with the left. And uh, the latest evidence of this is a long piece in The New Yorker written by Jane Mayer. You might remember her. She uh, wrote a number of uh, Kavanaugh hit pieces back during that process. I think she was part of the original story with Blasey Ford and possibly uh, the accusation from the woman at Yale. But uh, that's a whole different story. Uh, now the story is that, that Diane Feinstein uh, has been slipping cognitively for a number of years. It's getting difficult. It's getting embarrassing for her staff. And it's really just time for her to go. That's the thrust of the story. The evidence is that she asked the exact same question to... Um, Jack Dorsey from Twitter at a hearing recently with the exact same inflection with no clue that she had just asked it a few minutes ago, which would obviously be a little bit disturbing. Uh, the left was very unhappy with her handling of the Amy Coney Barrett hearings where uh, she called her impressive, I think. And then she told Lindsey Graham uh, he ran one of the best hearings and then hugged him, which, of course, is enough to get you ostracized from the party. Uh, so now the push is on not only to get Dianne Feinstein to not be the top Democrat on the committee, which has already been achieved. She has now said she will not uh, pursue that for the next Congress, and I'm pretty sure she was shoved in that direction. Uh, but now they say it's time for her to go. But here's the thing, Jim. Dianne Feinstein is 87 years old, and it's certainly not impossible that the cognitive decline is true. But she ran for re-election in 2018. She won quite handily. And in California's primary system, it's kind of a jungle system, and the top two vote-getters go to the general election. It's not necessarily one from each party. And she ran against a guy who was actually challenging her from the left, a guy named Kevin DeLeon, and she beat him handily. At that time, that would have been a perfect time, you think, for all of this uh, opposition research on Dianne Feinstein's failing mental faculties to come out. But no, it's only when they think she botched the Barrett hearings and, of course, she said late last year, which we've referenced a number of times, that she would not vote to change uh, the filibuster rules, which could pack the court or get a number of other things accomplished if the Democrats were to control the Senate. So what do you make of this timing? You know, Greg, there's been this strange phenomenon. I'll say it's mostly been the Trump years. I, I knew she was in her 80s. I didn't realize she was 87. So let's just say that sometime after she became an octogenarian, Feinstein would have these little mini controversies, usually a day or two, where she would say something and then the next day insist she had not said it. And it didn't matter whether she was on camera or whether she'd been recorded. Um, she'll ins she would insist she hadn't said it. And then when if, if at some point the reporter followed up, I think CNN's Manu Raju had one or two of these uh, situations. She would just look very confused and insist that, you know, and then kind of like, you know, scuttle away. Um, and this happened a couple of times during the uh, the Kavanaugh hearings. And uh, at one point she said she'd been pressured to go a certain way. And then they said, who who pressured you? And she said, I, I never said I was pressured when, in fact, she just had. And it look, politicians lie a lot. If this discussion was about, you know, Diane Feinstein is a uh, lies shamelessly, you know, a lot of listeners would say, ah, you know, it's a day ending in a why. Uh, it's not that extraordinary. But I think as these piled up, and it was interesting, each like there very rarely would anyone like um, take all of these examples and put them together all in one big article and say, here's why you, you know, something's wrong with Diane Feinstein. Wait, actually, I did that back in 2018 during the, the Kavanaugh hearings. Now, obviously, there's a lot going on then, but this was kind of a there was now this this pattern of, of Feinstein insisting she hadn't just said or done something she had just said or done. And it wasn't, I, I actually, you know, from what you could tell, 
I don't know if she, I don't think she was lying. I think she genuinely didn't remember what had happened. And look, she's getting up into her mid eighties. That's, that's not shocking. That's not unthinkable. This is not, you know, and so this, this, I suspect is not, if, if not an open secret, um, the, the article certainly makes it suggest that, uh, uh, this is Jane Meyer kind of makes it sound like, well, everybody's kind of known this. Some lawmakers have noticed it more than others. Feinstein has good days and bad days. Anyone who's had an aging parent or grandparent is familiar with that phrase. He has some, you know, she has some good days and bad days. That's how people are when they're struggling with Alzheimer's or other mental and physical issues with aging. But I guess because she was a Democrat and because Democrats generally liked her and she'd been around, nobody wanted to tell her she had to quit. It was just we were all expected to pretend we didn't notice these things. We, we were expected to pretend that things were fine and that, you know, Feinstein, who was played by Annette Benning in the movie a couple of years back, um, that she was not doddering and, and, you know, unable to perform her duties. We were all just supposed to pretend we didn't notice these things until now, I guess. I guess Jane Meyer has decided it's OK to acknowledge Diane Feinstein can't do the job anymore. She she mentally is just not uh, able to remember what she did from one minute to the next. I wish I hope Diane Feinstein lives lives to be a hundred or more. I wish her nothing but but good health and and an enjoyable life for the rest of her days. But the U.S. Senate is not a retirement home, and if you can't do the job, you really shouldn't be there. And we've been there before with other lawmakers, and it's this article mentions. Well, what about Strom Thurmond? Yeah, yeah. Look, there there are a lot of people who've been there, and mentally maybe not been at the you know at full capacity. We've had questions about a whole bunch of folks in, in, in our leadership. We have a lot of old leaders in, in Congress and across the country right now. Um, but at some point, it really becomes too much and to, to just pretend you don't ignore, too much to overlook, too much to accept. And I think we've reached that. So I hope Dianne Feinstein can be talked into retiring. Yes, I realize this means that Gavin Newsom would get to appoint not one, but two senators, um, which I don't really like that idea either. But um I feel like we've all kind of been asked to uh, sort of an emperor has no clothes sort of situation, a, a circumstance in which we can see someone deteriorating and we are being asked out of politeness to pretend we don't notice. And I think that's we're well past the point where we can be, you know, fairly asked to do that, Greg. Well, that may be the case. But what do you make about the timing here? Doesn't this seem like. Oh, absolutely. They wouldn't have mentioned this before, <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the hearings for Comey Barrett or anything like that. And oh, by the way, it also is indicating that, you know, um, everything from, do you remember the time, the video of her telling the school, the school kids came in to complain about climate change stuff and she more or less told them to buzz off. (laughs) It was, you know, and if anything, that's like, oh, actually, I kind of like you, Senator Feinstein. I like her being feisty and cranky and not willing to be pushed around by a bunch of adorable school kids. Um, Those kids did need to get smacked down like that. Um, But yeah, look, she is not, I don't think you can necessarily say she's a centrist but she's no. something of an establishmentarian and a traditionalist and, you know, doing things like hugging Lindsey Graham, you know, really infuriate them but, uh, on a level that it really shouldn't. So that's turned her into a villain over just like stupid, petty criteria. And now it's OK. To, that's what makes it now OK to notice, hey, Diane Feinstein is no longer the sharpest knife in the drawer. Feinstein, uh, if she were to serve out her term, would be 91. She would go till uh, January of 2025. I uh, believe uh, Chuck Grassley's up in 2022, and according to this article, he's seriously considering running for re-election. He is uh, also 87 years old. And Jim Inhofe is 86. He just got re-elected. So uh, we're still going to have some uh, experience, uh, shall we say, in the upper chamber. Jim? Greg, can we find the swimming pool from Cocoon? <laughs> <laughs> these, kids, these, these guys need some rejuvenation real quick. So. <laughs>
Amazing. Have a great day, Jim. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. And it's going to be Friday. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at Coastal, coastal.com slash martini. We invite you to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. We're very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast, and it will play just like that. Have a great day, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.